Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you're visiting with us, we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been somewhat of an enigma to me for many years and spent time this winter studying, preparing for this series here. Chapter 1 and 2, we see Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, test everything that man looks to to find meaning in life, only to conclude that it's all vanity. And what does vanity mean? Nothing satisfied. So when you hear that word vanity, just remember, nothing satisfied. So Solomon tested everything, and he had the time, he had the money, He also had the wisdom God gave him to try to find satisfaction in all these things, but his conclusion is it it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy the longing of man's soul. In chapter 3 through 6, Solomon is sharing with us his observations in life under the sun. And now we're in the second part of the book, and Solomon is telling us how to live wisely in this all-is-vanity world. But again, I'll, I'll caution you, remember that this is wisdom literature, the type of literature Uh, that is somewhat difficult to understand. And some of these Proverbs, now that we're in the second part of the book, they're loosely tied together. And I think you'll see that uh, today as we study through chapter 8. Last week in chapter 7, Solomon tells us it it is wise to avoid extremes. Remember we said don't be legalistic, right? Don't be nitpicky. Don't look to find righteousness in your own actions. He also tells us it is wise to live for today. Don't romanticize the past. We talked about how everyone talks about the good old days. Right, Adam? You remember the good old days? But when we get to thinking about the good old days, the good old days really isn't all that good when we, when we really get down to it. Right? He says it's wise to avoid impatience and pride. And he also says it's wise to go to funerals. So um, as we go to funerals, we're forced to... Think about our own mortality, and Solomon says that's good for us because there is more to life than life on earth, right? Yeah, there's eternal life, right, in heaven or in hell. So we're going to continue in chapter 8. David has already read this chapter for us, and as we go back through, we're going to, continue, we're going to read again different uh, portions of this text. But I think the first thing we learn from chapter 8, Solomon tells us to be wise and be joyful. Look at verse 1. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. This is is one of those isolated proverbs here, verse 1. And he asks, who is wise? And this sounds similar to chapter 7, verse 23 and 24. It says, all this I have tested by wisdom, Solomon says. I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? It's a similar meaning here. Who is wise? Well, not very many. Not very many people can explain the difficulties of life, like the providence of God, for instance, right? But we see that wisdom brightens faces, doesn't it? Wisdom changes one's countenance. And the one person who who seems to have done this in the Scriptures is Daniel. One of my two favorite stories in the Bible is Daniel and the story of Joseph. And, And Daniel lived in exile, 
You remember, he was in exile during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and he was trained by Nebuchadnezzar to be in his court and to serve him. And Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember them? They didn't want to eat the meat that was been sacrificed to idols. And so they told those in charge of the food not to bring them meat. They'll just eat vegetables. And the, the servant was afraid, you remember? Well, if I don't feed you well, the king will he'll kill me. Then he says, no, just bring us vegetables and we'll see what happens. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, it says, and, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. We know that Daniel went on to interpret a dream, right, that Nebuchadnezzar had. He had wisdom, right, from the Lord. And it affected Daniel, this wisdom. It affected even his appearance. And after eating only those vegetables... The scriptures tell us in Daniel chapter 1 that the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood before the king. There was something different about Daniel and his, his buddies. They had wisdom. They trusted in God. And it changed not only their hearts, but it changed their appearance. Philip Ryken, who writes, he wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes, he mentions an article that was written by a man named Matthew Paris. It was entitled, Why Africa Needs God. And what's really interesting about this article is that Matthew, he's an, a, a prominent atheist. And he, he tells in his article the difference Christianity made in the lives of people he knew in his, in his home of Malawi. And he, this is what he writes. The Christians were different there. Speaking of Malawi, their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world. Whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries, we had, to, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. Something in their eyes. So this man who's an atheist, he recognized, you have believers, they're, they're different. Because they have the wisdom, right, of the Lord. It changes even their countenance. Having this biblical wisdom, it, it does something to the heart, which in turn does something to the appearance, right? Something to the face. And, and you know people like that, don't you? You know a believer. You know believers who just ex exudes joy. Some of some, them some are coming to your mind now. It's because of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And we know to fear God, to trust Him, is the beginning of wisdom. We, Solomon tells us that in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. So to have wisdom is to have joy. So be wise, Solomon tells us, and be joyful. Be joyful by trusting in the Lord. The second thing Solomon teaches us from this chapter is that we should live wisely under authority. Look at verses 2 through 9. I say keep... The king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavily on him. For he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. 
Solomon says, All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. See, it, it, we devalue authority figures who use their authority for dishonest gain. We disdain injustice. We rebel against this type of authority. We have in America, we, we have independent, independent spirits. And as we, we, my family, we've traveled different places in the world. There's really no place like it. People just have a different attitude in America than they do elsewhere. Other countries, people just, they take what they're given, and they don't really buck it. They just assume this is just the way it is. I can't do anything about it. But not in America, right? We have an independent spirit here. In fact, this is how our country was formed, right? We rebelled against tyranny, right? That's how we started this nation. In fact, yesterday I was looking at a USA Today, and it said that 240 years ago yesterday, the Continental Congress changed the name of the United Colonies to the United States, right? But rebelling against tyrannical leadership can be risky. That's what Solomon's saying here. We know that Adam and Eve, they didn't have a tyrannical leader. They had a benevolent father, right? But what did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They rebelled, right, because they wanted to have their own way. And ever since then, right, all the descendants of Adam, which you and I are, are among them, we've been in rebellion against authority. And the king here in the scripture, it represents authority figures. And you say, well, we don't have a monarchy. Well, we don't. But we do have governing authorities. We have law enforcement officers. We have employees or employers, rather. We have bosses, right, et cetera, people who are over us. We have authority figures. And we can disagree with authorities, but we should also submit to them. But in our culture, we like to rebel, don't we? Children like to rebel against their parents. Students like to rebel against their teachers. Employees like to rebel against their employers, right? Yeah, we see it. It's rampant, isn't it? Just ask a substitute teacher, right? Or just ask any teacher, right? In fact, David, Wednesday, I saw David. He was here. He works with our students, and uh, he looked kind of tired. I said, man, you tired today? He was, yeah, man. It's kind of a hard day. Had some, had some students who gave me some trouble today. He was, he was tired, you know, dealing with students who buck authority. They wore him out, right, just trying to get them to do what they should be doing. And I, it's, it's interesting uh, since I've been back in this country, di- just talking with different people who didn't have work. And I talked to them about, why, why do you not have work? It seems like everybody's trying to find a good hand. That's right, Adam, isn't it? Everybody's trying to find a good hand these days. And these guys that don't have work, and I'm like, well, why do you not have work? And as I dig deeper, I realize, man, these guys aren't working because they don't like people telling them what to do. They all of them have trouble with these, with their bosses. Well, yeah, they're the bosses. They tell you what to do, and you do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have trouble, don't we? And that's the idea in these verses, is just to submit to our authorities. And Jesus taught this, right? He tells us to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? Luke chapter 20. Paul even says that. Romans chapter 13, he says, be subject to the governing authorities. We all have a responsibility to obey when asked to. And you may say, well, how far do we take this? You know, how far do we go with that? Do Do we just obey without thinking through what we're doing. No, we obey. Only when obeying will lead to sin do we not obey, right? When obeying our authorities calls us to disobey the Lord, we see that in, in, in Acts chapter 5. Peter, remember Peter? They were preaching the gospel and, and performing many miracles, right? They were validating the, the truth of what they were teaching. 
And the religious leaders didn't like it, so they, they, they took him and they put him in, in jail. And that night, an angel of the Lord came and opened up the, the gates of the prison. You remember the story? And had Peter, and told, the angel told Peter to go to the temple and begin to teach the people. And that's what they did. So when the religious leaders called for them the next day, they came back and said, well, they're not there. And they didn't run like criminals and hide, did they? No, they were in the temple preaching the gospel. And as the religious leaders brought them back to them and, and they, they warned them, they said, you can't teach this teaching. And what did Peter say? Do you remember? He says, we must obey God rather than men. Yeah, there's a time to disobey, right? I mean, we see that in World War II. Last week I mentioned Corey Ten Boom, right? Her family, they, they hid many Jews in her home, right, as the Nazis were hunting for them, trying to, to find them out. Yeah, there's a time to disobey, right? But those, those times when we rebel are few, and that's what Solomon is teaching us. It's, it's wise to submit, to be submissive to those in authority over us. It can be summed up in another proverb, Proverb 24, verse 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. We obey because that's what God would have us to do. But it's also practical, isn't it? Yeah, it benefits us, right? Most of the time. If we rebel against those in authority, what happens? We take place in a coup. If we say disrespectful things to those in authority over us, it could come back and get us, right? That's what Solomon's saying. Verse 2 through 4. Don't try to overthrow an authority figure unless you know it will succeed, right? Make, make sure your resistance is worth it, right? Make sure your resistance is worth it. When your boss is... Overbearing, yeah. Don't don't yell back because he may come back and apologize. Right? When mistreated, don't be so quick to revolt against those in authority. I, I can remember a time we in high school we had a new baseball coach and we had kind of a certain way. We'd had a baseball coach that had been with us and we had a certain way of doing things and we're we're pretty good. We're going to be really good. Our last year, and we got a new coach in. He was a good fellow, but uh, you know, he just had his own way of doing things. He changed a lot of things up, and um, didn't set real well with us. But uh, we kind of went with it. And as we got into the season, he, he began to treat me a little different. I thought, and other people would mention that. I said, "Man, he's kind of hard on you, isn't he?" Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, you know. And so he was kind of hard on me. And uh, one day he was being. Uh, I thought a little unjust. And so uh, I kind of told him what I thought about his injustice. And uh, I spent the rest of the day running poles, right, while everybody else is shagging balls and taking back practice. And I ran 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 some more. And looking back, that's what I deserve, right? We have to be wise in how we revolt, right? We should submit to authority. And be wise in, in, in our dealings with those in authority when we have to disobey, right? Look at verse 5. Brings us a little bit of comfort here. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. The wise man has discretion, right, in order to stay out of trouble. If one doesn't have discretion, they speak out, what happens? It could cost us our jobs or our position, and in some places in the world, maybe even someone's life. 
So what do we do? We submit to authority. We look at verse 6 through 9. Solomon reminds us of wisdom's limits. Yes, we want to be wise, right? We want to act wisely. We want to be wise in how we submit to our authorities and wise in how we buck the system and, and, and rebel against authority. But verse 6 tells us that there may be a, a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavily on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? It's kind of interesting here. We need to be wise as serpents, another New Testament scripture. We can remember, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, right? Look at verse verse 7 and verse 8 there. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are under, who are given to it all. I think this, this can be a quite difficult text. I really wrestled with this chapter all week, just trying to put it together. I told Jenny the uh, day before yesterday, it's like, wow, this... This chapter's really been difficult for me. But I think what he, he's saying here is we're, we're all under authority. We don't have control, right? He points out that no one knows the future. Solomon teaches that we are finite. We can't control the wind. We can't resist death, right? When our time, when it, when our time is over, when our time has come to, to, for our life to be over, it's going to be over. You can't resist that. A soldier... He, when during wartime, he can't resist fighting, right, if it's wartime. And we don't know the future and how things will turn out. The future is enigmatic to us, right? We're not controlled, but God is ultimately. And so we need to live wisely as people under authority. Look at verse 10 through 11. The third thing that Solomon is teaching us here is that evil is rampant and life is frustrating. Well, that's one of the themes of this book, and it, it's really realistic because as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we realize life's really frustrating. But, I mean, if you, all of us adults would, would, could vouch for that, right? Yeah, life's good sometimes, but you know what? Life's real difficult. It is, isn't it, Chris? Life's, life's frustrating, right? It doesn't always go like we want it to go. And, and verse 10 and 11 teaches us that. Nothing frustrates us more than to see evil celebrated, sin celebrated, right? Then I saw the wicked buried, and they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Someone says, this doesn't make sense. You see people doing bad things, and what happens? They're praised for it. They're praised for it. Does it sound familiar in our culture? Yeah, sin is often praised. Sinners, people who do wicked things, they're applauded. They're given awards in our day and time, aren't they? They're applauded to be role models, right? Those who embrace the homosexual lifestyle, they're applauded. They're given awards. They're given TV deals and advertisement contracts. Yeah, and that's what we see here. And it's frustrating, isn't it, for us? It's obvious, isn't it? We see it. See, that's just obvious. That's wrong. To us, it's so obvious, but the wicked are praised, right? And people that oppose them, they're ridiculed. That's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Calvin and Hobbes, you know, the, the comic. Six-year-old Calvin, in one of the strips, he protests the injustice that he had to go to bed earlier than his parents. Well, you get to stay up later. Why can't I? 
Heard that before, haven't you? His father commented, said, you know, the world's just unfair sometimes. And Calvin says, I know, but why isn't, why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? We kind of feel that way, don't we? Life's frustrating. And look at verse 11. Just governments, what do they do? They execute justice quickly, right? And if not, what happens? Evil spreads, right? The prompt punishment of evil sends a message that helps manage sin, doesn't it? But when justice is not carried out swiftly, what happens? Jails get overcrowded, right? Yeah. Jails get overcrowded. We see that in in our country, don't we? In some neighborhoods, right? Evil just spreads and righteousness isn't exalted. And that's just, that's frustrating. Look at verse 14. It seems that there's a reversal of reward and retribution, doesn't it? There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Solomon says this doesn't make sense. We see wicked people, they get promotions. That doesn't make sense to Solomon. They get notoriety. The righteous ones, those who do things rightly, they get demoted. They get passed over. Those who cheat, my wife, she was valedictorian of her class, and when she in high school, she was, it was neck and neck with her and another student. And she said, the other student said she, she, would, she would cheat. She knew she would cheat on her test and her homework. So she said, I just try to do, be diligent and do my work and study. And she said, that girl would cheat. And sometimes she would cheat and she would get a better grade because she cheated on her test. But sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes the cheater, they get an A. And a diligent student gets a B minus or a C. Yeah, that, to Solomon, that's just frustrating. It doesn't make sense. It's an absurd injustice, but that is life. It is frustrating. Evil is rampant and life is frustrating. Fourthly, Solomon teaches us that injustice gets reversed so enjoy life. Look at verse 12 and 13. Life is frustrating. The wicked do get honored in this life, right? Especially here lately. The righteous are ridiculed, but this is temporary. And that's, we have hope, don't we? God is just and all the wickedness will be dealt with. Look at verse 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that there will be, that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. God is just. Wickedness will be dealt with. The righteous will be vindicated. Do you remember Solomon's conclusion? As we're studying through Ecclesiastes, remember, I keep telling you, as we study, we have to remember Solomon's conclusion in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. As we're studying, we have to remember that. And what is his conclusion? Fear God. Keep his commands because judgment is coming. It's all going to be made right. And that's what he says here. Sinners will be punished for their sins, right? The righteous will be vindicated. Look at verse 15. Because believers will be vindicated, we can enjoy the graces God has given us. 
We can have joy despite the difficulties of life. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. This will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And we've seen this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Josh. Enjoy God's graces. Enjoy them. Yeah, life's difficult. Difficult. Very difficult. It doesn't make sense. We get so frustrated, right? But he tells us, but, but it, you know, it's going to be made right in the end. All things will be made right. God is just. No sin goes unpunished. The wicked, they're rewarded. It seems like they're rewarded and they're applauded and they're given awards, but that, that's just temporary. But God's going to make all things right. And the righteous, they'll be vindicated, right? And so what do we do? We, we enjoy life. When, when, when good times come, when God gives us grace, we enjoy his, the grace he gives us, right? We enjoy the grace he gives us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, he lived during the, the days of World War II, he was eventually martyred by the Nazis. He says this, Our life is not only a great deal of trouble and hard work, it is, isn't it? It is also refreshment and joy in God's goodness. We labor but God nourishes and sustains us. There's a reason to celebrate. God is calling us to rejoice, to celebrate in the midst of our working day. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul, speaking of the rich, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Yeah. God is going to vindicate the righteous. So let's enjoy life, knowing that our hope's in what's to come, not in this, in the, only in this life. But having that hope of things to come allows us to enjoy the grace that He gives us for now, right? Fifthly, lastly, Solomon teaches that the secret things belong to the Lord. Look at verse 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that's done on earth, how neither day nor night, do one's eyes see sleep? Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know God, he cannot find it out. The secret things belong to the Lord. We're finite. We're not infinite. God is infinite. We're finite. We're limited, right? We don't know everything. We can't know everything. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things. What's that? What are you talking about? The main we talking about the secret things. Things that we don't know. There's a lot of things that are mysterious, that are beyond us. The secret things belong to the Lord. In fact, um, God, what He does is He He reveals to us. He's busy with activity, right? And He He in most of what He does, we don't comprehend. Well, God, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? We say that all the time, right? Yes, yeah, it's just part of our lives, right? We don't know the future, but we know that God's going to bring about his purposes. He's going to, what is it, the work he's, he's begun in, in Mr. Clyde as a believer, the work God's started in him, he's going to finish it, he's going to complete it, and God's going to be glorified. His purposes will all come to fruition. His purposes will be done. The, the problem is we just don't know the means, right? We don't know how he's going to about, go about bringing his, his will to be done. And so that's the frustrating part, right? He discloses everything he wants us to know. And so we do. We need revelation, don't we? We need him to open our eyes and, and see what he's doing and how he's working and what he wants us to do. We need revelation, right? 
this too can be frustrating. We need him to open our eyes and our ears to, to, to understand truth and to see what he wants us to do and how we should go about living life. But we don't need to get frustrated when we don't understand life's happenings. We just need to trust the Lord. Lord, you're sovereign. All things that happen are, are for my betterment and for your glory. We need to be like Paul in Romans 11, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That's how we need to. The secret things belong to the Lord. What he wants us to know, we will know. Knowing that he's going to bring about his, his will, his purposes will be accomplished. The problem is we just don't know the the means, how he's going to do that in our lives and in your lives. But we know he's going to do it. And so what do we do? We trust him. We trust him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so we trust the Lord. When we're wise, what happens? By way of application, what happens? We're joyful. So be wise and be joyful. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Morgan, you trust the Lord. When you trust the Lord... The wisdom of God is going to transform your heart. It's going to transform your face. You'll have joy, right? We aren't in control, right? He is. So what do we do? We submit to those who we're in authority under. Our authority figures, we submit to them. Evil is rampant. Evildoers are praised. But because we know that God will make all things right one day, we can enjoy His graces. So I encourage you today, enjoy God's graces He's given you. And lastly, the secret things belong to the Lord. We just read that scripture. So trust him to reveal to us what we need to know when we need to know it. We need revelation from God. And so for some of you, for, for unbelievers today, you need revelation. If you're an unbeliever, you've never repented. For you adults, you children, if you've never repented and turned from your sin, what you need, you need the Spirit of God to open up your spiritual eyes and ears. You need the Spirit of God to allow you to see how depraved you are and how sinful you are. You know that you're depraved. You're sinful. We all are. We've all rebelled against the Lord. Because of that, the Bible says the wage of sin is death, which means our relationship with God has been broken. We don't know God. We can't communicate with God. And what that means is when we die, which we all will, we'll be separated from God for all eternity. That's the price of sin. That's the bad news. And it's coming. He's just. All sin will be dealt with. That's the bad news. The good news is that God's loving and He's merciful. And He sent Jesus to die for sinners. We took communion today to remember the body broken and the blood shed. The body of Jesus and, and the blood of Jesus broken and shed for us. The good news is that Jesus died for sinners. He died a cruel, horrible death. He was buried on the third day. The Bible says he rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. He ascended into heaven. The Bible says that one day he's going to come back to gather his church to himself and to judge the wicked. The good news is that we can repent. Sinners can repent and trust Jesus. We repent, that means turn from your sin, turn from living your life for you, 
and turn to Jesus, trusting his work on the cross as your own. Jesus died on the cross for me. He was buried and he rose from the grave for me, for my sin. He paid my sin debt. The Bible says because of Jesus' work, we can have forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Application for unbeliever today. If you're not a believer, application is repent and turn from your sin. You need the revelation of God. You need your eyes open, your ears open. You need to understand your depravity. You need to see God's goodness. And I'm praying today that God will grant you faith and repentance in Jesus Christ so you can be forgiven, so you can have a restored relationship with God the Father. All of us, we have, at one time or another, we, our relationship with God is broken. But we need to be reconciled to this holy, righteous God who will judge sinners. Isn't it amazing? Good for nothing, sinful, selfish people, Jim. We can be reconciled to a holy, righteous God. The God who spoke this world into creation, into existence, we can know him intimately and call him Father by repenting of our sin and trusting Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that today. If you've never done that, repent. What are you waiting on? You're going to die, and you're going to be judged for your sins. If you don't repent and turn from your sin, you'll be judged for all eternity in hell. God will pour his wrath upon you. Repent today and receive forgiveness. Know God and start living life. For believer, be wise. Draw near to the Lord. Trust the Lord so you can have joy in life. Yeah, life's frustrating. We don't know all the ins and outs and why God does what he does. But God is providentially watching over each and every one of us. If you're a believer... The bad things, the good things, all those things God is using to make you more like himself. He's fulfilling his purposes in your life for your betterment, for his glory. So let's trust him. Let's trust him this week. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.